you are going to see vultures, you're going to see deer, you're going to have an amazing astronomy, and you're going to see fantastic villages and wild areas where you're going to be walking for two days completely alone. There's no one else. Welcome to Rewilding the World with Ben Goldsmith. No country in Western Europe has as much diversity and abundance of landscape types and wildlife than Spain. And exciting things are happening there at scale. Whole landscapes are returning to ecological health and vibrancy. Iconic wildlife such as wolves and bears are recovering. And I've got Deli Saavedra here with me. Deli's one of my heroes from Rewilding Spain. And Deli is leading a hugely ambitious project to restore nature and to build a natural capital and nature tourism economy across an area known as the Iberian Highlands. Delhi, tell us about the Iberian Highlands first up. Hi, Ben. Uh, first of all, Iberian Highlands is the name that we just uh, put for a huge area that is uh, in the, let's say, northeastern Spain between Madrid and Barcelona. This is a huge area, almost one million hectares. And the uh, density of population in that area is less than two inhabitants per square kilometer. So you can imagine it's the density of population of Mongolia. So this is a typical example that happens so much in Europe of land abandonment. In the 50s, the 60s, people went to the cities, to Madrid, Barcelona, and the area uh, just empty of people. And of course, empty of people and empty of livestock because people went away also with the animals. And this has turned into an amazing new natural area, huge natural area with uh, two big natural parks. And the possibilities there are, are amazing. So we can have a pristine nature, we can have a, a big rewilding in a huge area, very well connected, so no highways in between, no big power lines, no big mines. So it's, it's, it has all the ingredients to have an amazing rewilding landscape. And how many towns and villages are there in the area that you call the Iberian Highlands? Well, inside the area, there, there are no towns. Uh, there are only small villages with uh, between one and 100 people there. there are the, in the southern side, so the, at the southern edge of this area where we are working is, uh, lies the city of Cuenca. Is a big city. And then in the north, there's a small town that is called Molina de Aragon. It's maybe 5,000 people. But in between, there's almost no one. So periodically, we see in the news here in, in Britain, marches in Madrid um, around a problem known as uh, España Vacia, or empty Spain. And it seems to me that there's a great deal of fear among rural population in Spain about lack of opportunity, about aging population and so on. So presumably a big part of what you're doing is describing to people who remain in the Iberian Highlands a vision of how you can breathe new life into their economy and their society through rewilding. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's going to be a great show, showcase to, to understand how is that possible. Because um, all the problem of the empty Spain is that, is fear and is seen as a problem when we think that is an opportunity. And of course, uh, you have still the people that thinks in the nostalgia of the past, that uh, they want to refill again of people, those villages and those towns with the traditional activities of agriculture and livestock husbandry. But we know that that's not possible. I mean, European Union has poured 
billions of euros in the in this kind of areas in all, all across Europe trying to uh, make this kind of living still livable and still active and it, it just didn't happen because people don't want to do this anymore so you need to find an alternative and what we are showing to the local people is that the alternative can be on the service sector so you can produce something different you can have ecotourists and you can produce what you what we say we, we will produce nature what is more important for the humanity right now that produce nature is not produce cows or lamb no no it's to produce nature to store carbon and that's going to be the new economy and those areas are going to be rich very soon because they have the ingredients to do that to produce nature can you imagine young people returning to these villages in the Iberian Highlands if if all this works out from an economic perspective? Of course. And um, there's a big problem in those areas and there's a problem of housing. So you arrive to a village and you see all the houses are empty, empty, but then you try to rent a house and you don't find it because people are using still them still as a second houses and they only go on the month of August, for example, because they're living in Madrid. They're only going from time to time. It's very difficult to find houses. So for the young people, young people that are living out in the cities and they really don't want to live in the cities, they want to go back to the countryside to do things like the ones we are proposing, they don't find house and we need to find systems for that. I think that I really think that the ones that have the biggest opportunity to come back and start this new economy are the, the sons and the grandsons and the granddaughters of the people that were living there and they still have a house in the village. Those are the ones that can really come back and they're doing that. And there's a template for this in Asturias. I, I visited Asturias in northern Spain with my sons a couple of years ago and I found that exactly that, grandchildren of, of those who'd yeah. left were back running agroecological hotels and, and were working as guides and birdwatching advisors and so on. Yeah. Uh, so e ecologically speaking, in, in this area described as the Iberian Highlands, historically, this was an overgrazed landscape. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah exactly. By livestock by mainly by sheep and now that the livestock are gone you have a fast and dramatic recovery of woody vegetation exactly this is what is happening now so does that not present um not only a fire risk uh, but also a uh, does that not present um a, a risk of too many trees and not enough sunlight and and therefore some kind of ecological impoverishment the other way yeah, that, that is what exactly what has been happening in the, in the last decade. So we had a recovery, and I think we have to be very happy that we had this recovery of the landscape and we had the forest being bring back. But as we say in rewilding, we don't have all the pieces back into the ecosystem because we don't have the large herbivores. The large herbivores were the cows and the horses, and those disappear also. So what, what, what we have now is that this very dense forest in many of the areas with a lot of shrubs, and those are prone to fire. And you can be in, uh, storing carbon for decades, but then one day the whole thing just burn out. And then we start back to zero. We put the counter back to zero. So what we need to is to have big amounts, big numbers of large herbivores. How do we do that? If we have said just now that the empty Spain doesn't allow to do that because there's no livestock anymore. Well, we can have these large herbivores, but in a new way, in a new management system where those animals are pretty free, are feral or semi-feral, and you have um, different shepherds. We call them uh, shepherds 2.0 that are kind of herd managers like in Africa that they are just taking care of the, the, the animals are doing the whole things, but you don't need to give them food. You don't need to give them refuge. You don't need to put, of course, uh, not any uh, ibermectin and, or, you know, all these anti-parasites and all these products that are terrible for the countryside. So you have, again, large herbivores in a new way. 
So which large herbivores are native to that part of Spain? So uh, in, in all Europe, the large herbivores were the aurochs, uh, the horses, the wild horses. They were in the past bison. And uh, probably there was the, the wild as the coolant. So the, 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 the was living, but that was maybe two, three thousand years ago when it went extinct. What happened with those animals? Well, there are two animals that uh, all these animals disappear. Uh, there are two that disappear forever because we don't have aurochs anymore and we don't have wild horses anymore. But we still have ancient breeds of cows, of cattle, that can do the same purpose. And we are also bringing back something that we call Tauros, that is it's a kind of aurochs 2.0. So you can have a kind of proxy of the of the ancient aurochs that is going to be is going to do more or less the same ecological function. For the horses is the same. We don't have wild horses, but we have ancient breeds of horses, and we are even going to bring Prebaski horses, which are the the, the last last really wild horses that uh, stayed in Mongolia. We are going to bring those. Maybe in the future we'll bring bison. Bison is very important in all these ecosystems, and it was living in Spain. Um, and then for the for the more arid systems, uh, the areas semi-desert, steppe areas, we really think that the, the wild ass, the coolant that is living now in Kazakhstan and in Ukraine, that would be a fantastic substitute for the for what the donkeys were doing for centuries in the landscape, which is to graze those more arid areas. So what's the timeline on restoring some of these animals? When are we going to see in the news um, the return of, of wild ass to your higher ground and the return of bison or, or, or wild ox known as aurochs? Yeah, well, we're working on, on that. So we already have uh, one herd of Tauros. We already have one herd of an ancient breed of horse that is called Serrano horses. Uh, I think this year we will bring the first herd of Prebalski horses back to the, the, those areas. And we are aiming to have them like uh, free roaming with uh, radio collars, because um, I think this is another thing that we need to find uh, management systems. We also cannot pretend that uh, in Europe we can have the animals like in Africa that are completely wild. We need to have some limits, but those limits don't need to be fences. It can be virtual fences. So you have the animals with radio collars. And then I think in more in the medium term, we will bring the bison and the, the kulan. Kulan is a bit difficult because there are not many animals in zoos or wildlife parks. So it's very difficult to find sources of those animals, but we aim also to start to bring them very soon, like uh, next year, maybe. And the smaller herbivores are abundant. Roe deer, red deer, fallow deer, yeah. wild boars. Ungulates are very abundant. There are thousands of red deer, fallow deer, there's uh, ibex also, roe deer and wild boar. So what is missing are the predators there. The wolf uh, is not yet there. It's close to the area, maybe 60, 70 kilometers into the north. So t tell us a little bit about this, Delhi. The recovery of wolves in Spain has been mm -hmm. one of the great conservation success stories of, of, of this century. Well, what's going on? Well, the recovery uh, happened already a few decades ago. We, we have um, one of the best populations in, in Europe, in, in, of course, the best in Western Europe, in all the Northwest. Of course, this is happening uh, because, again, because of land abandonment. So the wolves have plenty of habitat to, to live. There are more and more uh, wild ungulates or wild prey. So they, in many areas, they don't even need to make, uh, to make damage to livestock because they have enough wild uh, prey. And we think that this could be possible if the wolf ever comes back to the Bering Highlands. This is when it's going probably to happen, that there will be no damages because it's, the, the wild prey is so abundant. But we also need to understand that there is some conflict. And in Spain, there is a 
big conflict. There is a political issue also. Recently, it's been put into the list of protected species, and this has been um, like a very bad receive in some communities of farmers or hunters. So we need to work a lot in the coexistence. But uh, in any case, that has been an amazing conservation success. And can the wolf get to your landscape or are there blockages, towns, motorways? No, there's a motorway, but uh, it's been increasing the population to the east. So I think sooner or later it's going to arrive. Uh, and in the moment it will arrive, I, I guess that, of course, we need to start to work on this coexistence with wolves. But then, I, as I said before, I don't expect a big um, a dramatic uh, problems because the quantity of wild prey is just amazing. And the area is huge. I just repeat it is one million hectares. So this is a huge area. But the media tells us that farmers despise wolves. It's not totally true. It, it, certainly some livestock farmers, especially those who have sheep, despise wolves and understandably in a sense. But farmers that have pigs are delighted when wolves return because they reduce wild boar and therefore the incidence of African swine fever and other disease. Mm. And certainly farmers that are growing vegetables and fruits and which have vineyards and are arable farmers, they're delighted when wolves return because they control the number of deer and boar which damage their crops. So it's not fair for the media to say that wolves are despised by all farmers. It's really just one segment of farming, which is the, of the livestock farmers. And and we also need to say that, um, that it's very important to teach people and to suggest people that we need to work with nature and not against nature. And, uh, for example, at the same time in this region recently, there has been some um, what they have called uh, emergency levels of wild ungulates. So when, when the government considers there are too many deer and they give a special permit to the hunters and they pray to the, par- to the, to the farmers and hunters to, to hunt more deer, when you would have an animal, which is the wolf, which is specialized just in to kill the deer that are, that are sick or the ones that are old. So you have a tool that is working for free 24-7 and still you are asking the hunters, please go and hunt deer. That doesn't make any sense. And we need to, to tell that. Absolutely. I mean, the only parts of Europe in which ungulate numbers are somewhat under control are where you have populations of, of wolves. Um, yeah. And w- what about the larger carnivore still? What about the bear? I know uh, I saw a bear when I went to Asturias. It was one of the great, most exciting moments of my whole life. Yeah. Well, the, the, um, the last area where the bear disappeared in Spain was exactly in that area, in the Iberian system. That was the, where the, I think disappeared like in the 19th century or something like this. And now there are only bears in the Cantabrian Mountains and in the Pyrenees. I think that could be a good idea to uh, reintroduce back the the brown bear. I think there was already studies on the habitat feasibility and is one of the best places for brown bear. So definitely there's place, ecological place for for brown bear in the area, in Iberian highlands. But of course, uh, before we need to work a lot on the the social feasibility and to be sure that it will be uh, well accepted and they will be... uh, and a species that can be an emblem for, for the area. But you know, even in Madrid, they have the Oso y el Madroño, they have the bear and, and, and the fruit. So, I mean, it's, it's a symbol in central Spain and it could be back a symbol. Uh, we, I think what have shown also the, some success stories in Spain, like the one you were saying in Asturias, for example, Somiedo, where Somiedo Natural Park is, is lying, there was the, I think it was the third uh, poorest municipality in the regional government in the 80s. Then the, the natural park was established, all the symbol was about the bear, the observation of the brown bear, and now this municipality is one of the richest. So we can also explain that these kind of animals are bringing richness and are bringing economic activity.
By, by chance, when I was in Asturias, I met the mayor of Somiedo, who told me that they were receiving 180,000 visitors a year now to see the bears, a, a place of great prosperity. Yeah. Every building is shiny and updated and new. Yeah. So can the bears naturally make it to the Iberian Highlands in the same way that you expect wolves to do? No, because well, the brown bear is not moving that much and the populations in Spain are really far north in the Pyrenees uh, and the Cantabria Mountains. So we will need to reintroduce it. So in Britain, we talk about the four keystones being the large herbivores, particularly the large bison mm -hmm. or the wild ox, or perhaps a native domestic proxy, longhorn cattle, um, the, the, the wild boar or domestic mm -hmm. pigs, yeah. the wolf, which we don't have back here yet in Britain, but I feel sure we will during my lifetime, and the beaver. Tell us yeah. about the story of the beaver in Spain, because they were extirpated as they were in Britain a long time ago. Exactly. It was a stirpatus. It was completely extinct. There was a, a reintroduction um, done in 2003 in the Ebro River without administrative papers. And it, the story is interesting because um, those beavers were reintroduced just on the border between three autonomous communities, regions. In Spain, the competence for protection of nature is within those regional governments. So because this incipient population was right in the border, everyone was blaming the other region to do something. So they didn't do anything. And of course, the beavers were breeding. And there was a moment there were maybe four or 500 individuals and they started to hunt them. They started to eradicate a species that it was a species without papers. But of course, that was a nonsense. And someone just brought the case to the European Commission and the European Commission said, sorry guys what are you doing this is an, a, a protected species and the habitats directive and i and we don't care if they have papers or they don't have papers you have to protect the species and you have to declare natural areas for the species until natura 2000 and those regional governments and the spanish governments they were completely surprised and they had to change the management so what happened now is that the beaver is protected is living in the ebro there are almost 1000 1000 individuals in ebro and many tributaries and it's starting to jump to other other basins so it's recovering and but i think really need to recover to to all river systems because it's very important it's a key species that we need in all the rivers especially now that we are going to have more droughts and we need someone as i was saying before doing uh, building dams 24 7 for free yeah, tell us a little bit more about why beavers are so important in an Iberian context. Well, the, you know that um, in Iberian uh, Peninsula, what we have is a lack of precipitation. So we have a small, uh, let's say, low rainfall. Uh, river, Mediterranean rivers can be dry for some months of uh, the year. And this is only getting worse because of climate change. Where there's less uh, rainfall or this is more irregular. There are a lot of uh, intensive agriculture that is taking water from the river. So we have rivers with less and less water and we can have months four or five or six months during the year where there's almost no water running on the river so we need someone building those dams and keeping this water and that, that's what the beavers are, are doing in all the, their distribution we have seen for example these fantastic pictures from from the southern EUS where beavers are keeping those areas and even protected from forest fires the some areas along the river stretches so I think beaver for Mediterranean habitats are especially important important and we need to have them back in all the rivers in Spain. Yeah, the, the firefighting role of beavers is a really interesting one and, and also yeah. the firefighting role of bison because effectively what you're saying is that the Iberian Highlands is going to be more vulnerable than it was to wildfire because of this recovery of trees and forest 
and that the return of, of large herbivores and the return of beavers is the best mitigant for that. Yeah, and also because um, at the same time we want to store carbon and we want to have more trees, but we cannot have them without those animals that are preventing forest fires because otherwise from time to time we're going to lose all this carbon that we are trying to store. So we want more trees, but at the same time we want those trees protected in a scenario of climate change and higher temperatures and less rainfall. So it's, that's a really tricky thing to manage. And I think we need to manage with nature, not against nature. Are you going to do any planting of trees? For example, where, where you've had a lot of recovery of Mediterranean pine or umbrella pine and you want more broadleaf trees. And conversely, are you going to do any removal of invasive species or, or, or are you letting things settle as they've, as they've happened? Well, in general... Um in rewilding, we don't plant trees. We usually don't plant, plant trees, um, only with some places that is strictly needed because there was a fire and there really no regeneration. But in, in most of the places, I would say that in 90% in of the cases, there's no need for plant trees. Natural regeneration is enough. What we are trying to do is to, to make those forests more resilient. And this is with the last herbivores. Also, what we are trying to do also is to protect those forests from people and from the economic activities. Because now the peculiar situation we have in Europe still is that the biomass is considered green. So to cut full trees and burn them is still something that is considered green and we need to subsidize this. And this is nonsense again. So what we are trying to do is to compensate and to take this or the best forest of the area, the old growth forest, and we're going to pay the timber and say, okay, we pay you the timber and this forest is standing here. And if we are going to do, a, for example, some forest extraction, let's make forest extraction to make construction because then this CO2 is going to, the carbon is going to be stored for, for decades or centuries in the constructions, but don't cut full trees for burning them. That's nonsense. And I have seen in the area 200-year pine just put down to be burned and, uh, under the biomass with green subsidies. That's, that's something that has to change. I don't know if you saw that at the end of last year, um, the Australian government has yeah. uh, removed the green classification for yeah. biomass and that, all subsidies that go with it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if Australia can do it, then the EU may well follow. Yeah, I think I, I, they should follow. And what about the connection of the Iberian Highlands to other landscapes in Spain? We've talked a little bit about Asturias, Cantabrian Mountains, the Pyrenees. Can you just draw for me a map of where the great rewilding opportunities are in Spain and how they're connected to each other? Well, uh, of course, the best uh, rewilding opportunities, and I think this is for the whole Europe, are in the mountain systems. Because when you go to the plains, you have intensive agriculture and most of the population. So you have to go to the big mountain chains. Those are in the north, uh, the Pyrenees and the Cantabrian mountains, and things, uh, a lot of things going on there. Then you have the Iberian system, which runs all the way from the Cantabrian to Mediterranean, just crossing Spain, and part of it is Iberian Highlands, but the Iberian Highlands is only a small part in the, in, in the southern part of the Iberian chain. So we are talking about almost 1,000 kilometers of mountains where there are huge opportunities for rewilding. And then you cross south of Madrid, we could say, and then you have there some mountain ranges, and then you have all Extremadura, Desa system. And this is a system that is a productive system. So it's all we use for livestock and is still working. But in some places are starting to be a bit of ab abandonment. And we can turn this into Mediterranean forests with large herbivores and doing a lot of rewilding. And then finally, just going at the end of the south end, we have Andalusia. And Andalusia, I also believe that there are huge opportunities both in mountains and on the wetlands. 
the connection there there has been some works on the what can be the connections between all those systems so where would be the one of the the, the green corridors between all these areas so we have maps but there's a lot of work to do because there are a lot of infrastructures in Spain and there are no green bridges so we need to work a lot on the connections between those big areas Delhi, how do you divide your time between focusing on the Iberian Highlands project, that, that 1 million hectares, and the broader work of rewilding Spain and creating this connectivity? The three C's we've talked about in the past, which is the, the cause, corridors, and carnivores. Yeah, exactly. Well, first of all, I have to say that, in fact, formally, I'm not, well, not working in rewilding Spain, but in rewilding Europe. So in my portfolio, my personal portfolio, I'm working in Iberian Highlands, but also in, in areas in Danube Delta, in Rodope Mountain. So first of all, I have to divide my time between those areas but the work we are doing in Spain now that we started the rewilding uh, initiative in Iberian Highlands now we have a specific team a local team there working with a team leader and with people working there so I have uh, let's say more time uh, to dedicate to other areas but for the moment rewilding Spain as an entity is focusing in Iberian Highlands but starting to think where are other areas where some project at least we can support other initiatives I don't think for the moment we are going to focus Um, directly in other areas in Spain. So we really need to focus in Iberian Highlands. There's a lot of work to do. We always say in Rewilding Europe, we don't do projects. We even ban the the word uh, project. We do long-term initiatives and we tell to everyone, look, if we are coming here, at least we're coming here for 20 years because rewilding is something that it takes time. So we are going to be in Highlands for 20 years and we need to focus. So I don't expect to start to work in many other places in Spain, but I think if we can support other initiatives Initiatives, of course, we're happy to do that. Delhi, is there a particular landscape that you've worked on or that you've visited that is just number one for you in terms of what changes have taken place and how nature has recovered? Maybe a kind of template for what you want to achieve in the Iberian Highlands? Well, I like very much the what our colleagues uh, are doing in Rewald in Portugal. So what they are doing in the Coa Valley, which is an area that is uh, close to the border with uh, with Spain in the central and the interior of uh, Portugal. And I think the work there is important because first is a corridor, is a river that they are creating a corridor on the river. And they're working on, and they're working a lot with the communities and they are working with the people to tell them, look, this landscape that is being recovering without control, without large herbivores, without carnivores, etc. We can make it more resilient if we work on rewilding, but at the same time we need to bring this new economy. And they are doing something inter- very interesting that is uh, the Wild Coa Network, where they have been putting all the producers together to create a product that people can visit. So they are putting Coa Valley, which is an area that nobody knew before, on the map of the conservation and the natural areas in Europe. So I think the work that is being done there can be a template for other areas. That, of course, other areas are more difficult. We also are working, I work also in Danube Delta in the three countries, Ukraine, Romania and Moldova. And of course, you can imagine that the, the difficulty to work, for example, now in Ukraine in the restoring wetlands. No? So, so there can be a lot of challenges. I like very much the, the, the Portuguese case as a template to apply to much bigger and much more difficult areas. Delhi, what's the best way to visit you in the Iberian Highlands? What should I do if I want to come there and spend time there? Which town? Where do we go? 
I think the best would be to go to uh, Molina de Aragon, which is the northern uh, part of the area, of this huge area. Then, of course, we are starting to look into provide possibilities through Rewilding Europe Travel so people can just go to the area and they can do different activities. We have uh, discovered while preparing this initiative and now that we are starting to work, because in fact we only uh, launched it in October, so still we are just starting, we didn't do much uh, yet. But we have been uh, meeting and discovering that there's a lot of people out there the, those young people that came from the cities and people that they already were born there, that they're, they're trying to do very important and, and interesting initiatives, but they are alone and they're not going, someone that has, I don't know, a restaurant, a guest house or a hide to, to, to watch uh, vultures, they're not going to attract a Dutch or a British uh, family that they are looking to visit uh, Iberian Highlands. That's going to be almost impossible. So what we have to create is the product. And the product is to bring all these people together and say, all together we have, we have an amazing area, an amazing product, an amazing alternative. So come here five days and you're going to see vultures, you're going to see the air, you're going to have an amazing astronomy and you're going to see fantastic villages and wild areas where you're going to be walking for two days completely alone, there's no one else. And this is what we are building now. So uh, no, not today, but uh, I hope that very soon there will be the possibility to come for one week to Iberia Highlands and enjoy a lot. You mentioned vultures and... Um... I'd love to know a little more about the big birds of prey of, of the Iberian Highlands. Are you doing reintroductions? Are they there in good numbers? Some of the species are in good numbers. Um, there, there's been a, a huge recovery, not only in Iberian Highlands, but in all Spain of the Griffon vulture, for example. And there are uh, thousands of pairs uh, in the area. But for example, the, the, the Cinerius vulture, the black vulture disappeared, was extinct, and we are starting to reintroduce it. We have released already uh, more than 10 uh, birds and we will continue. So we are doing this reintroduction. And at the same time, we are trying to attract the bird of vultures that are starting to disperse from the Pyrenees. And the Egyptian vulture is quite common. So hopefully very soon we will have the four European vultures in the area. Uh, there are a lot of uh, birds of prey, so abundant populations of Bonelli's eagle and Butted eagle and Shorted eagle, Golden eagle. So it's very good for raptors still. Imperial eagle is not yet there, but this thing is coming back and I think uh, will come back naturally. So um, in terms of birds uh, of prey, I think it's a very good area and, 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 and most of the species are common. Delhi, I hope you take good care of yourself. You're one of the most important and vital people in Europe. I'm such a fan. I'm so happy to speak to you. I love you very much. Thank you very much for taking the time. Thanks, Ben. See you soon. What an extraordinarily optimistic and magical story we've just heard from Delhi. If he and his team can succeed in working with local communities to restore herds of wild horses and wild ox, and maybe even one day beavers, bears and wolves to the Iberian Highlands on a landscape of a million hectares, we will have wildlife and the possibility to take extraordinary trips into real wild nature that rival the experiences currently available in far off places in Africa and India. If you want to learn more about this extraordinary project, go to rewildingeurope.com, look up Iberian Highlands, spread the word among your friends, and maybe even chip in and support Delhi and his work. Thank you so much for listening in to another episode of Rewilding the World. 
If you've enjoyed it, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow the podcast on your preferred platform and spread the word among your friends. Next time, I'm going to be talking to an amazing guy named Christophe Promberguet, who's working with his wife, Barbara, and a team in a landscape that's become known as the Yellowstone of Europe, a huge mosaic of forests, hills and mountains in Romania's Carpathian Mountains. Under immense threat from logging, Christophe and Barbara and their team have pieced together patches of land through acquisition and partnerships with local communities and is building a wild landscape bigger than anything else we've seen in Europe. I really hope you can join me next time in my conversation with Christophe Prombergay to learn about Europe's emerging Yellowstone.